Hi, it is great to see you. Uh, for those of you who are joining us at all the other campuses, it is great to see you, well, to be seen by you. Never say that right, to be honest. Um, I uh, wanted to have an opportunity, first of all, to say Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, I know that you're not supposed to do that but uh, after the fact, but you guys don't know what I mean when I say Merry Boxing Day. So, oh, that got a few horrible laughs. <laughs> anyway, um, I have a couple things before uh, JT, Jeff Thompson, is going to come and he's going to share God's word, word with us. And I've got a couple of things that I just wanted to share really quickly. Uh, number one, next weekend, we uh, have this really cool opportunity. One of the things that our church is really focused on doing in the next number of years uh, is that we want to be as healthy a church as we possibly can be so that we can multiply uh, our church into other places as well. Uh, our, our goal ultimately is to see more and better churches who are producing more and better disciples so that our cities and our world may know who Jesus is. So uh, ultimately, that's our goal. One of the things you have to do when you do that is you really, really need to focus a lot on leadership development, which is essentially church planning is basically leadership development. Church renewal is basically leadership development. You need God to take a, an individual and you need to build them up and you need to send them, send them out. And so we're really committed to doing this. Um, in that vein, we are going to next week be opening our pulpits up to some guys who are, are learning their craft. Everybody starts somewhere. Uh, these will be, in some many cases, these guys' third, fourth, fifth sermons. And so we really want to encourage you to come along and to support them and to be a part uh, of that. Uh, you would be shocked at how helpful it is for people to come along to smile a little bit and to pump their tires afterwards and say, I can see that the Lord is has gifted you in this way, and we want to. We, we just want to help see what he's going to do with you in the days ahead. So it's kind of a leadership development pulpit sharing day, and so each one of the campuses will have a live sermon with different uh, people who are training here at Harvest. The second thing is, uh, as the year ends, you've heard me say repeatedly that uh, we are talking a little bit about, about money. We've got to meet our budget at the end of the year. Um, I was actually thinking a little bit this last, this last week, uh, mostly because Christmas is a, was upon us, you know, and we love to give gifts to each other, which is, which is fantastic. But I've been thinking quite a bit, actually, about what the scriptures have to say about money and possessions and these sorts of things. In fact, next year, I think we're going to try to do a series on it just because Jesus talks so much about money and possessions, and especially in the West, it's a huge issue for most of us. Um, there's this section at the end of Luke's gospel where he... Uh, Luke is trying to make the point all throughout his gospel that, you know, disciples are, are people who've basically abandoned their past life and are, have committed themselves to following Jesus regardless of what it, what it means, whatever the cost is. So at the end of his gospel, he actually puts two guys kind of right next to each other. One of them is this guy, the rich ruler, who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and uh, Jesus said, well, you keep the law. <laughs> And the guy said, well, I have done all that, so what else do I need to do? And Jesus is like, I don't, you haven't actually kept the law. So he picks the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And he says to the guy, all right, so uh, I want you to take your money. He's a rich guy. I want you to go and take all your money and just, or your goods, sell it, take that money and give it to the poor. And then come follow me. And Jesus is actually putting his love for God to the test. He's essentially saying that, do you love me? Are you willing to forsake all other things for me? And the guy goes away sad 
because he's very wealthy. So this, this rich ruler is a, is a negative example of discipleship, of what you ought not do. And then like two little stories later, there's this story about this little guy, Zacchaeus, who is a rich, rich tax collector. Nobody likes him at all. He climbs a tree so that he can look down and see Jesus as he's passing by. Nobody would have talked to Zacchaeus because he was such a social outcast. But Jesus passes by, stops underneath the tree, which is something you don't do in the ancient world. Like, you don't, I mean, even, even now, if Joe Biden climbed a tree, we'd be like, well, that's a little beneath you, Joe. Maybe. Um, just kidding. But, you know, like really important people, they don't, men, they don't go up and climb trees, especially in those days where they were long skirt type things. Anyway, so he's up there in the middle of the tree. And Jesus stops and he looks up and he says, yeah, I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus, which is a sign of friendship. I want to go eat with you. I want to have a meal with you. Anyway, he goes to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus stands up right in the middle of the meal, and he says, listen, if I've, if I've defrauded anyone, I want to give back four times what I've defrauded them, and I, and I will give away half of my possessions to the poor. And Jesus says to him, um, salvation has come into this house today. He's not saying that you just earned salvation by what you just did. He's saying, look, salvation's come into this house, and I know it's come into this house because of what you just did with your money. So if you put those two together, you can see Luke's point. He's basically saying, look, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to show up in all the really nitty-gritty parts of your life, and especially with your money. You'd be shocked at how much Jesus thinks that, especially with your money. That people who don't really love Christ, they might say they do, but people who don't really love Christ are the people who hoard their stuff and are not willing to give it up for the sake of his kingdom. But the ones who actually do love him, they hold their things very loosely, right? Every day is Christmas to them. Every day is an opportunity to give and to say, they say, look, whatever it is that I have is not mine. I'm going to give it off to, to the Lord who saved me because what he's done for me, the grace he's shown me by coming to my home while I was, you know, a social outcast, what he's done by coming to my home is far more valuable than any, any of the goods that he's given me since. Anyway, I telling that to you because uh, I, yeah, I just want you to think a little bit about that at the end of the year and about how we've just come off this great holiday. We've been sharing things, and I just think that the sharing heart should continue in all of our hearts as we think about what the, the Spirit of God wants us to do in regards to his church. Listen, JT, God bless you. Jeff Thompson, who is from our Chicago Cathedral campus, he is going to be sharing the word with us today, and I wanna have an opportunity to pray for my brother. Um, he's fantastic. I love this guy. You guys, JT, he's one of our preaching team. Can you just welcome him? It's awesome. So I want to pray for you, brother, and then we will hear what the Lord is going to say through you. Father, I'm thankful for Jeff, and I'm thankful, Lord, for uh, the, the work that you've done in his heart and the way you've gifted him, Father, to share your word with us. And I pray especially in these next moments that your spirit would form the words in his mouth as it, you have formed uh, the thoughts in his heart this week as he studied this passage faithfully, even in the midst of a holiday. And I pray, Father, that you would um, form the words in his mouth, carry them through the air and plant them on our hearts. Spirit, come, help us to hear what you have to say to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Jeff. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas, Harvest. So grateful to be with you today, to be opening God's word. And, you know, I love all things Christmas. And did you get some good stuff? Oh, oh, I know, it's church. You're not supposed to talk about that kind of thing. You no, know, it's fine, it's fine. Did you get some good stuff? 
Okay, good, good. Because you know, like, gifts are actually a pretty important thing. I don't know if you've heard about the love languages before, um, but there's these five love languages that describe uh, the way in which many of us give or receive love. And uh, the most important human person to me uh, happens to have this love language as her primary love language is that of gifts, is giving and receiving. So I want to tell you a little bit, this is the five love languages um, according to perhaps one of the most important uh, foods of all time, tacos. The five love languages of tacos, uh, words of affirmation, your tacos are delicious. Acts of service, I made you tacos. Receiving gifts, here's a taco. Quality time, let's go out for tacos together. And my personal favorite, physical touch, let me hold you like a taco. But these are ways in which we uh, show love and receive love from one another. And because you've loved the gift that you received, whether it was a taco or, or a sweater or something amazing this Christmas, hopefully that gift that you received allowed you a greater love for the giver of that gift. And so that as we think about God's incredible gift to us of his son, it drives us to a greater love for God and a greater love for others. We're going to be talking about this, looking at it from God's word. Turn over in your Bible to 1 John 4. We're going to be in 7 through 12. We're going to talk about this idea on this Christmas weekend of an incredible gift of love that's given to each of us in the person of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God's love dwelt among us. So let's start reading. I get to use Jeff's fancy TV here. This is amazing. Merry Christmas to all. All right. 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Let's stop right there for a moment. What John is telling us here is he's showing us the origin of of love, the place where love comes from. Now, you may read this text and think, Jeff, that's, that's not actually all that spectacular. What did, what did you do all week where you were studying this? It was Christmas week, okay? I'm preparing a sermon for you, all right? Give me a little bit of a break. No, but God is the origin of our love. He says in verse 7 that love is from God. Countless songs have been written about this, and poetry books are filling libraries about this subject of love. Over 60% of all songs ever written are about love. Movies are made about it, but still Hathaway asks, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Or Foreigner sings, I want to know what love is. So what is it? 
What is this love that so captivates our society and our humanity, this 60% of all songs written about it? It's a pretty big deal to us as humans. So what is it? If you were to just Google what is love, here's what will come up. A profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. It's just warm fuzzies. It's the things that you feel towards another person. A feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection as with a parent or a child or, your, or a friend. Are you kidding me? That's it? This is what we spend 60% of our songs talking about? We've basically reduced it to the same thing as anger or lust or hunger or nostalgia That's what we've reduced this idea of love, this most central concept to us. We've put it in the same category as some of these things. But this is what it means. If you want to place your life on the shifting sands of another person's feelings, or or worse, your feelings, you are in for a life filled with heartache and brokenness. C.S. Lewis would say a little better, love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. It means affection, benevolence, goodwill, high esteem, and concern for the welfare of the one who's loved. It's deliberate. It's purposeful rather than emotional or impulsive, better, but we are Bible-believing Christians. So what does God's word tell us about love? Many, many passages could speak to this, but I want to show you just a couple here. Let me get down here. 1 John 3.16, biblical love is sacrificial. Biblical love is is sacrificial. By this, we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's sacrifice, but it's not just sacrifice, it's joyful sacrifice. It's not drudgery, it's not obligation, it's a joyful decision that I'm making to give myself for another. Biblical love is sacrifice, and biblical love implies action. Another one in 1 John, 1 John 3, 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. DC Talk would say, love is a verb. Love is a do thing. It's not the warm, fuzzy things that you feel. It's the actions that you take to place another person before yourself. So biblical love implies action, and then biblical love demands joyful obedience. It demands joyful obedience. One more out of 1 John, 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, 
and his commandments are not burdensome. It demands that we obey the Lord, but it's not drudgery, it's joyful obedience. Here's what I wrote down as a definition of love, summing up all that God's word has to instruct us there. Love is joyful sacrifice for the good of another, sometimes accompanied by emotion, always accompanied by action. Love is joyful sacrifice for the good of another person, sometimes accompanied by emotion, always accompanied by action. But John here, he's not saying that God is loving or that one of the things that God does is he loves, even though both of those are true. Notice what he says here. He actually says God is love. All of his activity is loving activity. All that God does is love. If he creates, he creates in love. If he judges, he judges in love. If he disciplines, he disciplines in love. Love defines every action, everything that God does is love. That's why John says God is love. But this passage tells us just how much God loves us. He's loved us so much that he's given us that gift, that perfect gift of his perfect son for you and for me. That's the extent of God's love for us so that we might have life. And that's where John turns next. He turns to the display of love. Let's go back to our text. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In the greatest display of love of all time, God sent his son Jesus into the world. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because God loved you so much, he gives this incredible gift. And isn't it true that the size, the extent of a gift shows the extent of the love of the person who's giving it? And many of you may have given uh, cookies to your kid's teacher at school. Or maybe you, you gave $20 as a, a nice Christmas gift to your mail carrier, or, or maybe your coach, you, you gave them a little tin of chocolates or something like that because you care about that person and you, yeah, you love them. But then your spouse, you picked out a perfect, beautiful watch for that person. 
and you took the time to think of something meaningful to say to them, and you took the watch to a jeweler, and you had the jeweler engrave a personalized message of love on that watch to your spouse. And then you give that watch to your spouse. You're displaying the level of love that you have for that person by the size and the extent of the gift. When God wanted to tell you that he loved you, he gave you his perfect, spotless, only son as a gift. That's the type of love that God has for us. Now, we close every service here at Harvest by saying, you are loved. And we say that because of God's incredible love for us. And we want each person, every time you come to church, to know God loves you. And we want you to know that this is a place where we love one another. It's something primary for us because of what God has done in us and what he's doing through us. And so this is a place where you are loved by God and you are loved by one another. And that's why we say it each and every week. But there's somebody listening right now who feels anything but loved. Maybe the circumstances of your life have left you disappointed and hurt and feeling like there's no way God loves me for these things to happen. Maybe the people around you who were supposed to love you, who were supposed to care for you, maybe they've dropped the ball in that and left you feeling hurt, maybe betrayed, abandoned, rejected, the enemy would tell us, you're not loved by God. Nobody in this world loves you. But God shouts with a gift from his perfect son, you are loved. Every one of us, because of his incredible gift that he's displaying to us, the depth of his love for you, he's given his perfect son. I'm reminded on that first Christmas in Luke 2 where the shepherds are out in the darkness of night and in the midst of that darkness, the angels appear declaring to them the love of God. Love breaks through oftentimes while it's still dark. And on that first Easter, the text says, while it was still dark, the tomb was empty, and Jesus was risen with a shout, you are loved. Because oftentimes, love breaks through while it's still dark. And so if this year has been anything but bright for you, if this has been a year of darkness and pain and hurt and confusion and abandonment and loneliness, no, please know, beloved, you are loved. You're loved by God and you're loved in this place by us. 
And don't miss in the text that the purpose of Jesus' coming here was so that you and I would have life, that we would have eternal life. You don't experience the love of God unless you receive the gift that God has given to us. And he says here, he says that it's the propitiation, that the gift of love, this Jesus, is sent for you and I to be the propitiation for our sins. Well, there's a $10 word. What does that mean? Propitiation is a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it into favor. It bears God's wrath and it turns it into favor. You see, you and I are sinful from the very first breath that you or I ever took. We were born in sin. And the decisions that you and I have made even today, the things that we have thought about, the things that we've said, the ways that our mind has gone against what God would have, the words that have been spoken, the the unkind things that you or I have done, even today, they're sinful and they keep us from a perfect and a holy God. And the judge would take his seat and the gavel would fall and he would say, guilty. And the sentence is death, separation from God because of what we had done. The wrath needed to be poured out. But our perfect, loving judge holds back the gavel for sentencing and says, I have provided my son to pay for all of it. Every ounce of wrath that was meant for you is poured out on Jesus Christ. And that what would have been wrath, just wrath, poured onto you is now favor with God. So that when God looks at you, he no longer sees the wrong things that you have done in your past, the wrong things that you've done maybe even today. He looks at you and he sees Jesus's perfect righteousness on your behalf. It was wrath, but it's turned to favor. Jesus who willingly and sacrificially came to the world as a baby and lived a perfect life, and died a death on a cross for your sins and for mine. Jesus is the payment for your sins and for mine, and has placed us in a position of favor and blessing and even glory before the Lord. That's what we have because of the gift that's been given to you and to me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake... He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. What should have been your punishment is now your favor. That is love. And in the most perfect display of love of all time, Jesus comes to this earth, and this passage is dripping with Christmas, and it's dripping with Easter. We see it here. Jesus come to the world for us, sent into the Son, 
sent into the world by the Father, and now as the propitiation for our sins. We have Christmas and Easter in the same verse. Jesus sent for us in love. And Jesus died on a cross for us in love. And this perfect love that's displayed here has a great outcome in our life. The outcome of love. Let's go back to the text. Beloved, this is where we are right here. Beloved, if God so loved us, really what he's saying here is because God so loved us, we ought also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The outcome of God's love for you and for me is a love for others. He actually says we also ought. It should be this way. And notice this beautiful line. I love this. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You see, nobody has ever gazed upon God the Father, but when you love other people, those around you get a glimpse of what God looks like. When you are loving others, the world sees what God is like. It gets a glimpse of him. Your love for others enables people to get a glimpse of who God is. How incredible is that? That we get to be missionaries to a world to show them what God looks like through our love. You see, when people would look at love and think about love as something that I feel, it's what I feel about a person, or it's what you do for me, or it's how you make me feel about myself. Or, or it's, I'll give to you as, as long as you also give to me, as long as there's some, some back and forth here. And, and if not, I'll withhold from you because you've withheld from me. Or, or I'm in, I'm in. I mean, as long as things are happy and, and I'm feeling all of the things and, and things are happy. But, but man, if they get really hard, I don't know, I'm out. But God's word says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the kind of love that you and I are called to. Because that's the kind of love that's given to us freely in Jesus Christ. And when you and I 
act out this love in word and deed, we get to play a part in perfecting God's love, seeing it as a reality in our world. Now, don't miss the fact that this love is a result of a relationship with God, not a condition for it. Hear that. It's a result of a relationship with God, not a condition for it. You see, you don't have to love people in order to be right with God. What John is saying here is that if you are right with God, if you've truly received God's love for yourself, you will love others. Now, we all know that we should be more loving to people. Maybe that's something that's going to be on your New Year's resolution list. I, just, I want to be more loving. Good plan. That's a great call. But, but the text calls us, it tells me that I need to love others. I, 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 ought, I ought to love one another. And, and the text tells me why I should love because of this gift that God has given me because he's loved us. And, and it even shows what love looks like, but it doesn't actually tell us, like, how, how do you grow in love? Or it doesn't seem to tell us that, does it? I mean, is the, is the answer just try harder? Just, I'm gonna be more loving. Just willpower? Is, is, is that what we're supposed to do? I mean, so I think there's a little bit of that. Please don't, you know, that, that's not gonna help. Um, there's a little bit of that because he does say we ought to love one another. So it is something that, that we can do. And I do think that there's a little bit of, of me enacting my will to die to my own selfishness. I think that's why John says we ought to love one another. But I don't think that that's the primary thing that we see in God's word. It's for sure not the primary thing that we see in this passage. Here's what I think John is telling us. A more full understanding of God's love for me shown perfectly in sending his son Jesus Christ will result in a greater love for others. A more full understanding of God's love for me, the gift that he's given me in his son Jesus Christ will result in a greater love for one another. See, when I recognize the incredible gift that I have been given, and I really understand my need for the gift and the extent of God's love for me, I automatically will be more loving. Let me show you this in God's word. It's all the way down here. I'm not as good as uh, the other Jeff at this. All right, uh, this is, uh, so Jesus is, uh, he's having dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. This is Luke 7. And he's uh, there eating with Simon and who knows, probably a lot of other people. And a woman comes in, uh, the text just tells us it's a sinful woman. And she comes in and she's weeping over Jesus's feet and drying the tears off of his feet with her hair, and, and then anointing his feet with oil. And s truthfully, Simon kind of freaks out a bit. He's, he's freaked out, and, and, but Jesus tells Simon this parable. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. 
One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. These are uh, sums of money, but you could see 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, now Simon, uh, which of them will love him more? It's an excellent question. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. The reality is, we are all this sinful woman. We are all in the condition that she is. We're completely full of sinfulness and brokenness and desperately in need of a savior. And the moment that we forget that we need his love and grace is the moment that we quickly turn to thinking about, I deserve something. The more you realize this truth each day, that you are a sinner in need of a savior and he has provided that savior for us in the person of Jesus Christ because of his incredible love. And he's wiped the slate clean for me and for you. And we stand before a holy judge, perfect and righteous and loved. And the more you understand that, the more you will love. He who is forgiven much loves much. This is why a savior came to earth in humility this first Christmas. Now as we close, I wanna uh, get really practical with you and give you some specifics of what do I do with this love? This incredible gift that's been given to me in Jesus Christ. What do I do with this love? First, receive it. Receive it. Turn from your sins and embrace Jesus Christ by faith. If you have never before recognized your brokenness, your sinfulness, your need for a savior, and your inability to do anything about it on your own, and yet a perfect savior Jesus Christ was given for us. That if we repent of our sins, turn from them, and believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins and for your sins, we will be saved. We turn from our sins, trust Jesus Christ by faith. We receive the gift of love that's been given for us. Receive it. And then revel in it. You and I need the practice every day, every single day 
You need the practice of reminding yourself that you are a sinner in need of a perfect savior. And he has been given for you at Christmas and crucified on Good Friday and raised from the dead on Easter Sunday, declaring to you every day that you are loved. You and I need that every day. Don't let a day pass without preaching that gospel to yourself and watch the well spring up in you of love for others and love for God when you revel in the incredible gift of love that was given to you. We receive it, we revel in it, and then we reciprocate it. We reciprocate it. Look for tangible ways to place others first in acts, in in ways of action that are joyful sacrifices for the good of another person. That's what we look for as followers of Christ. We look for these tangible ways. How can I be more loving today? Who has God put right in front of me today? Maybe it's my sister. Maybe it's my spouse. Maybe it's a brother. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a stranger at the grocery store. Who has God put in your life today that you can actively place before yourself? That's reciprocating the love that God has shown to us. Now, we already talked about it. This is uh, an incredible gift that we've each been given this year. This... Nice. This is a bag of clothes that are going to Goodwill. And like any bag of clothes that are going to Goodwill, it's been in my trunk for ooh, three weeks or so. Because that's what we do. We throw it there for three weeks until we finally remember to drop it off. But in this bag, uh, there's all sorts of clothes. Here's some Christmas pajamas that we got um, our kids a long time. I mean, there's all sorts of like clothes and toys and all sorts of things that at one point were under the tree, wrapped up like this. And the box was torn open in excitement. Look at this, oh my goodness, it makes noise, it's got batteries, Woohoo! it's my favorite. I love this gift. But at some point in my kids' lives, it went from this to this. And oftentimes, for us as believers especially, when we think about the gift that God has given us, we allow ourselves to be calloused to the love that's been shown to us. And it is a daily action to make sure that we continue to value the incredible gift of love that's been shown to us. To make sure every single day that we don't allow it to go from this to this. Keep valuing the gift of love that's been given to you in Jesus Christ. Father, we are grateful for your immense love for us. 
You've loved us beyond anything we could imagine, so much so that you have given us your perfect, spotless son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for seasons like this, Christmas, when we can remember and be stirred up afresh in the gift of love that you've been given us. We thank you so much for your incredible grace that is with us each and every day. Not just on Christmas, but each day of the year when we can focus and remind ourselves of the great love that you have for us. God, allow us to receive that love. Allow us to revel in that love each and every day. And allow us to reciprocate that love to a world that desperately needs Jesus Christ. To a world that needs to see a glimpse of God. And maybe that glimpse will come from me. Maybe that glimpse will come from one of us to show in a perfect way what your love has done for us in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.